0: Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Rain City Bunker. I am Greg Moon. I'm here with my buddy Andy Brown. Hello. And uh, we'd just like to say we're happy to be be back. I've been gone since July. Haven't done a podcast since July. want to thank Andy for doing uh, the last podcast, episode 7, which was a two-part episode. He was interviewing uh, author and fighter Eugene Robinson. And, and musician. A, and musician. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, he's a, a man of all trades. And anyway, thank Andy for doing that. I did some stuff, too, behind the scenes to help us get that up on the on the website. And also want to thank our buddy Jason Thorderson, who did our uh, logo. Jason is a professional. He took our original concept and made it cool. So I want to thank him for that. You didn't say what he's a professional of. <laughs> professional <laughs> art guy. <laughs> professional artist. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. And uh, anyhow, so I've been traveling. I've been uh, We've been busy. And one of the parts we've been busy, Andy took a big trip to California. And he had a couple interesting things down there. Tell us about it, Andy.
1: Uh, right. Well, as some people who've listened to the show regularly may remember, Greg and I quite a while ago talked about the um, – Seattle Comic-Con, it's a kind of uh, traveling convention, and that was a lot of fun, but I went to the uh, the big daddy of all the uh, Comic-Con conventions, which is in San Diego. I flew down to San Diego from Seattle, and um, I met a friend down there, my friend Jennifer Hale, I don't think she minds if I mentioned uh, her name. She was uh, in LA with her band, and um, so it was an easy trip for for her to come up to San Diego or over whatever to San Diego. <laughs> down, and, to San Diego. Da- down to San Diego. Down to San Diego. South um, is down, I think. It always drives me nuts. Considering I always think we you know we live on a, a sphere more or less, so there really is no up down whatever. But anyways, sticking with convention. Um, so. Um, So, yeah, we went to one day of Comic-Con. We had our tickets for Friday, the Friday of Comic-Con, I believe it was. And uh, it was a blast. I mean, you know, there were people walking around in costumes and there were uh, celebrities there. And I actually got my picture taken with... Um, Jane Wedlin from The Go Go's, who
0: was my favorite Go Go by yeah, the way. It, she I, was the cutest in my uh, opinion. She, she was everybody's. the guitarist, <laughs> short dark hair, very cute. And
1: she's still she's still cute and sexy, uh, I think. Um, and you said she was friendly. Yeah, she was very friendly. Uh, and then I, you know, I don't have the actress's name uh, in front of me, but uh, the actress that played the primary female vampire in Thirty Days of Night, which is a great horror flick if you haven't had a chance to see it, and she was really uh, very attractive up close and she was cool. Also, everybody there seemed to be pretty cool. Um, uh, let's see some of the other celebrities we saw when we saw Danny DeVito doing an interview. Um, we saw the cast from, um, uh, the big bang theory was there. They were just, dude, they were totally like mobbed by people. We didn't even Jen and I, were, my friend Jen is a photographer and, and we were, um, we were walking through the crowd in the main convention area and we just saw this throng of people and just like, you couldn't see what everybody was looking at, but they were holding up their little video cameras and their cell phones and, and everything. And so we kind of were, we were like, what is that? And we, we kind of peered through the crowd and you could see the, um, uh, once again, I don't know the actors names off the top of my head, but the three primary um, Actors from that show are just kind of sitting at this card table looking like completely overwhelmed, you know, or or just, you know, like in this state of wow, you know, I've seen that show uh, two or three
0: times. Uh, and it, it's kind of a fun show, but it's to me,
1: it's kind of a weird show, but it's really popular. I think evidently. it's very popular with that because they the the two main guys are supposed to be um, physicists, I believe. Yeah, Uber and, geeks. Yeah. Um, socially
0: kind of inept. And and they
1: mention they mention things like comic books and they they actually talk about Comic Con and I think they had a Comic Con episode, um, so you can see that that they would have a big fan and of course they have a cute actress who plays the lead you know in the romantic interest of one of the guys, um, so um, uh, Greg tried to get away with coughing right there you probably heard it anyways you know now I think you just psychologically hang on I'm gonna cough too. <coughs> we both are uh, overcoming colds by oh way, so man yeah residual
0: is left and yeah. we'll try to minimize it but i'm feeling a lot better and andy
1: yeah I, I, I think i had i mean i don't know for sure but i think i had the flu a couple weeks ago uh i don't i don't think it was the swine flu i mean but it was a kind of a heavy heavy hitting flu it knocked me out for a couple of days yeah. and i had a fever and all and that i stuff.
0: just had a mutant cold i don't, <laughs> I don't think it was a flu but it was some nasty cold so uh, worse than usual And then,
1: so uh, Comic-Con, and then you drove back? Um, Yeah, then uh, since uh, Jen was, uh, my friend Jen was there, um, uh, she had her truck, and we drove from San Diego up the Pacific Coast Highway to... Which is a very beautiful drive. It's awesome. I would recommend it to anybody. We drove up the... um, Pacific Coast Highway back up to San Francisco where Jen lives and and I hung out with her for a few days and then uh, flew back to Seattle. But the trip, um, let's see, it was like a two day trip and we stayed in a little town called Cambria, I think is the name of it, and it's very close to uh, San Simeon. Um, in fact, it was funny. I was online uh, about a week or so ago and they were, you know, they have those lists of the the most beautiful small towns and Cambria was there because it's like this oceanside town. And it, I mean, it is really, it's just a cool little town. I'm not sure what it's like to live in. Like it might be one of those ones. Like if you're a teenager and you live there, you're just like, Oh, I can't wait to get out of Cambria. But, um, if you're on a, tr- on a trip, it's, it's an awesome place to stay in. And it's very close to, uh, San Simeon, which is where the Hearst castle is. And so he took a, uh, trip up to the Hearst Castle and took a tour and it is an amazing place. Um, Huge, uh, really well preserved. I mean, they do an amazing job. They, they've kept it uh, a lot of the, I think it's almost all original furniture and artwork. And he, he spent a lot of the uh, forties, um, all right. Or maybe it was after World War One. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm forgetting the tour. 20s and 30s. 20s and 30s. Yeah, yeah. must have been after World mm-hmm. War One, buying up um, a lot of European art and um, and uh, uh, things from uh, ta- tapestries from cathedrals and so forth. So all that stuff is there. So it's almost it's it's not only like a tour of the uh, the Hearst Castle and looking at the architecture. It's also kind of a museum tour because there's a lot of different art mm-hmm. there. And, um, as I was saying to Greg, uh, what kind of blew me away is if you know anything about William Randolph Hearst is what a powerful man he was and that, you know, they have the dining room table and it's this huge, you know, when they always do kind of, uh, comedy routines about really wealthy people and they have the huge table and, um, it was one of those huge tables and you start thinking about the, you know, the politicians and, and the actors and the writers that, um. That sat at that table, and, and Hearst cut- was a
0: very powerful figure. He ran oh, yeah. a whole string of very influential newspapers, yeah. right? So and he magazines. became very wealthy, and he became very connected. Okay. And people would come; he'd invite people to come visit him yeah. there. And what what kind of struck me because I drove by there. I had Andy suggested I stop, but I didn't work out that I could stop. But uh, it, what, what kind of struck me is it's kind of remote. It's not near LA, and it's not really near San Francisco. It's kind of in between. So it's not really near a major city, but um you know, it's not in middle of nowhere totally, but I was kinda of surprised by that fact. I would figure yeah. it'd be close to LA or San Francisco, but it's it's kinda of in between and yeah.
1: in like a kind of
0: rural esque or small town area.
1: Well it's up on a it's up on a hill. It's well, pretty much almost like a low mountain and, and kind of <laughs> looks down uh on the um on the town of San Simeon and and uh, yeah, I highly recommend uh, they do a really good tour. Um, and uh, you know, I do you think this is an appropriate time to talk about one of my pet peeves of tour groups that I just? Why not? When
0: else will it come up? Yeah,
1: I you know, I I guess I you know I'm not a I'm not a super rule follower. And but when you're on a tour of some place that they a historical place where they're trying to preserve the the you know the the integrity of the art, the artifacts there and so forth. Follow the rules, you know, did I someone mean, try to oh touch something? Or let me, let me tell you, do? Greg, one of the, okay. One of the things that Hearst had installed in one of the rooms were these, um, this, this paneling that was from a cathedral and the paneling, uh, imagine like a wall, this dark, uh, wood with all this woodwork, you know, artistic woodwork in it. And there's these seats. They're like pews, for, for the, um, uh, you know, for people visiting the cathedral. And even, you know, the tour guide was like, you know, you know, you had to actually, they wanted you to stay on this this carpet that they had laid out because you're also walking on a carpet that is that you could be could be considered art, you know, and they have a path for you to go through which has a protective carpet on it. You're not in the tile work. You're not supposed to step on that. And one of the things they said is, uh, the tour guide said is like, even in Hearst's time, People did not sit in those ch- those pews. Those were that was strictly decorative. You know, they had other furniture. Kind around of there. almost
0: sacred from a church or from. Yeah, a I don't think it was necessarily that. Not it was sacred, just like, but just very
1: valuable, old, valuable, and- old. I as the tour group went on, and uh, you know, Jen, we were we kind of tended to linger towards the back because Jen was taking lots of pictures, and the tour guide was through a door. I looked behind me, and one of the guys in our tour was sitting in the pew after being told not after to after being told yeah. not to and i mean i went on another i another tour and i won't even go into some of the stuff that happened on that of uh, the winchester house and i'll talk about that in a second but i just it just makes uh, It's just amazing either people don't listen i don't know what do you what do you well, think that phenomenon is oh
0: i don't know it, it drives me crazy too uh, yeah. in 07 i took my first trip to europe and i visited the vatican and at the very end of the vatican the the summit of the Tour is the Sistine Chapel, obviously very famous. You know, Michelangelo. Never did the, heard of it, <laughs> and he's not very religious. Uh, Michelangelo okay. did the famous uh, God creating Adam thing. You know, very, and it's an active chapel, so yeah. it's a, you know, for Christians an active sacred spot. And they were tourists, and they were from a certain country, which I won't mention, but it it, it blew my mind because you're supposed to have reverence. They tell you please keep your voice down, please be reverent, and there's these people. <laughs> I don't know if it's one tour group or this country in particular, but they were so loud and I was thinking, gosh, you know, you're visiting there, the Catholics yeah. sacred spot, you know, show them some respect. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. I yeah. think it's just human nature.
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe humans are rebels. Yeah. Deep well, down okay. or you some humans are rebels. Now but... now I'm going to, I'm going to have to. So, um, so anyways, that, you know, that trip and the tour was really awesome and, um, you know, the hang out with my friend in, in San Francisco was really cool. <clears throat> and we took a day trip um, to, I think it was the day, it might have been the day I, I was leaving that night, but we took a trip to, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget where uh, the Winchester house is. It's in San Jose. San Jose, thank you. Uh, we took a day trip to San Jose and went to the Winchester house, which um, was also fun. I think I preferred, um, the uh, the Hearst Castle, but my friend Jen preferred the Winchester House, and that was really cool and interesting. And and uh, I'll will t- talk about the Winchester House in a second, but um, it it was built in the late 1800s, and so if you are familiar with the the keys, almost like your your standard stereotypical skeleton keys are what mm-hmm. open and close the door, and um. At one point I was on the tour and there was this guy, early 20s, and he he did this in front of the tour guide. He took out a pocket full, I guess he maybe he collected these of like old skeleton keys, he had maybe about 4 or 5 of them, which if he had any brains, he would know wouldn't work on just any door, but he's trying each of them in this one door in which there's a if you were to open the door and step out, there's a drop about like uh 15 feet down to the ground and smart and he's just doing that. And the tour guide kind of stops and he was a young guy and he was really funny, but he stops and like everybody kind of stops and we're all looking at that guy. So he eventually perceives that we're all looking at him and he, he turns around and the tour guide just kind of looks at him like, like he's crazy and he goes, are you kidding? You know? And, (laughs) and it was, it was like the way he did it. It was just like, it was perfect perfect you know or he might have said are you serious or 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 something but it was just so withering and i and it was exactly how i felt it was like what are you what are you thinking you know and um the same tour guide they have there's this one part of this room that had been damaged in um the earthquake that hit that area in 19 greg maybe you can film 89 me. was that no, oh no, no i'm talking about the one in the early 20th century 19
0: oh 1906 1906 the big
1: 1906 earthquake yeah um uh, the damaged part of the house, and they've left it in the condition uh, that it was was in, um, and and so there's these uh, pl- there's this plaster work, and um, uh, Jen was asking the tour guide about um, she she said is is this in the original kind of damaged condition. And the guy said, well, well, pretty much, he's like, oh, I do think there have been some people who've taken some souvenirs. In other words, they've chipped off yeah. some of the plaster and taken it with them. Do you,
0: is that an American thing? Because Americans are very individualistic, or do you think that's just a person thing? People just think, hey, I've, I'm who I am. I'm me. Don't you know who I am? I, think it's I a, can take a piece. I
1: think it's a person thing, and I have, I have actually heard that if you, are to, if you go into certain places in the pyramids in Egypt, that there's graffiti Going, uh, going back to like the early 1900s in, in, in the pyramids, and I've also had a friend who's traveled through Europe, and and he has seen in um, chapel, little chapels and stuff in in the like uh, uh, graffiti or, or yeah. carvings into the yeah. wood that, and the dates are from like yeah. the 1800s. So, so I guess
0: museums have to put up a wall yeah. or,
1: or a fence, yeah, where
0: you where it makes it difficult for them to climb over and touch things. Yeah, people will. climb over and touch things oh yep they will they will So you gotta put the little uh chain or whatever to keep people out so
1: editing that out of my experience the winchester (laughs) house um for people who are not familiar sarah winchester was the widow of one of the winchesters once again don't have his name right in front of me um who ran the winchester rifle company um and Which is still an active company, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Winchester. That's a I, ooh, name. Uh, yeah. I, I believe they still do manufacture. Yeah, yeah and they also that. make other things. They make tools and so forth. Uh, other things besides rifles, and they have throughout their history. Um, and Sarah Winchester was involved in the spiritualist movement of the late late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, heavily involved. And um, at some point, I don't know if this. I, I think they're fairly certain this happened, but she consulted. She felt that she was plagued by. Um, angry spirits and bad luck, and she consulted a medium uh, about it. And the medium said, told her uh, to build a house and never stop building the house, um, and then that way that would placate the uh, spirits that um that hovered around her and, and affected her life. Um, and that's exactly what she did. She started building this house. And they never completed it during her lifetime. And it has a lot of... um, She came up with a lot of the ideas. Like, uh, it basically has a lot of nonsensical things. For example, there's doors that open into walls. Or there's windows that look out onto a wall. I noticed there was a lot of that kind of stuff. There's stairways that go up to nowhere. Um, And uh, just even the, the places that you can get to and walk around, they're odd. And... What? But
0: a lot of the places you can't
1: do that, right? Only a certain part of the right.
0: percentage of the house is open for tours. Right,
1: right. They, um, I th- Yes, that's true. That is true. Only a certain, a small percentage actually is, is open. Um, and uh, uh, she herself, part of the oddness of the house is that she was very small. She was like four foot ten or something like that. And a lot of the, uh, you know, the stairways and rooms and stuff were built for a woman of that stature. And... Uh, the stairways, they're these really interesting kind of long, narrow steps because she got severe arthritis in her in advanced age, and I think she died at like eighty six or something, which is a pretty good run mm-hmm. for somebody from that time. And um, you know, so they built these these shallow, long stairs so it wouldn't be very painful for her to walk up. And and I, I won't go on too long about this, but um, there's a lot of uh, one number that's very important in spiritualism or in the spiritualist movement is thirteen so there's a lot of representations of thirteen like there's thirteen knobs on things there's thirteen panels and windows there's thirteen drawers and a dresser and and uh that's you know, kind of
0: funny because thirteen's kind of an unlucky number in the general society right right for
1: you know, what, right but for her, it was considered yeah. a lucky number yeah. now that room that was damaged by the earthquake um and then this i'll end it up here because I 'm not sure how interested people will be in this, but Um, She was in that room. I think they called it like the blue room. It was very, uh, very feminine, uh, the kind of decoration that was in it and everything. And it was, it was one of her favorite rooms. I think it got a lot of sun and so forth, but she, when they had that earthquake, you know, everybody ran out of the house, all the servants and so forth and so on. And then they did a head count and they realized that she was still trapped in the house. And, um, the wow the tour guide said if you look at the door um apparently the reason she was trapped is cuz the door frame shifted and jammed the door against the door frame so she couldn't open it and she was in there for i think several hours and then they finally they located her and the servants went in there and they used a crowbar to pry open the door and you can still see the mark where they used the crowbar to pry the door open and uh you got a spider on you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was, but very Halloween, <laughs> a very tiny little spider. But um I imagine, you know, it was so interesting to imagine. And in and, and the tour guide said that she believed, cuz I guess she had stopped construction on the house briefly during that time, that she believed that the that that earthquake was caused by her not fulfilling her responsibility to the spirits. <laughs> uh, and I you know, it was in that room uh I, I, I could totally imagine this woman just ruled by the, the uh, ideas of this metaphysical world being panicked that she's trapped in there because she violated some rule that had been sent to her by the spirit world. And, you know, I, I really had a uh, – that's where I had the most sympathy for her because, I mean, I can't, I just imagine this little woman in there and just, oh, it must have been terrifying.
0: But she sounds pretty superstitious. so it's Oh, absolutely. I think – well – Superstition, in a way, can be sad if if you know. If you think the universe is conspiring against you because you walked under a ladder. I mean, that to me, you know, a little sad. So she might have been stuck with these little fears and phobias and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was less it was less creepy. Like, yeah, I think you put your your finger on it, Greg. Is it, it wasn't really creepy. I don't mean it like that. I mean, I felt really sympathetic to this this poor woman, uh, you know, being trapped. Yeah, by that's that, that, that's understandable. Yeah,
0: yeah but um, it's also kind of sad that she thinks the
1: spirit sent a big earthquake because yeah. she wasn't fulfilling their yeah their expectations. Um, and then, of course, it, it's funny because. Um, the show came up. Uh, you know, we we did the whole we did the whole tour. We actually took another tour that they showed you kind of the workings of the grounds and stuff, and that was very interesting. That was more technical. Um, but the, the the end of the first tour that we took, uh, uh, my friend Jen and I were the last ones out of there, and I asked the the tour guide. I said, you know, I do this podcast, and we talk about some of this stuff. I said, I have to ask, any hauntings, any ghost things, and he said, well, the most he had mentioned it during the tour that um, the most stories come from uh, this one room in the upper part of the house that was the servant's room. And that's where the serv- basically the servants, you know, they would uh, wait to be summoned. And I think they could probably, you know, rest there and have some of their stuff there. And, and he said that... He- he, when he was relatively new and began to know the house and they have different duties after they close down for the night. And, um, he volunteered cause he was kind of curious about it. He volunteered to go into that room to do whatever they had to do in there. And he said when he was alone in there, he didn't know if it was all the stories he had heard, but he said he felt an intense desire after being shortly being in there to want to get the hell yeah. out. Well, I mean,
0: um, we hadn't really planned to talk about it too much, but uh, I think aren't hauntings typically associated with intense things like you know slavery? Yeah, or you know murders. And, and I think this so. You know, this lady may have been eccentric and weird, but there's probably no real, yeah, negative bad no. things that happened and, there.
1: And I didn't get you know just um, like I you know Greg and I have talked about this before. We we have we don't necessarily uh, without going into a long thing, we don't necessarily buy into this, but we have an open mind and we're interested in it. And, uh, and I can just say for my part, I didn't beyond that one room where she was trapped and kind of feeling kind of an empathy for her. I didn't, I didn't get any creepy vibes from yeah. it at all. And I think I asked Jen and, and you know, she's not a, she's not a, uh, into that stuff too much, but, uh, I don't think she had any particular feeling about it either. Yeah. But,
0: cool. Um, I, I got to check out that Winchester House because I know it's in San Jose, and I go down there once or twice yeah. a year. So I got to uh, make it's, a mark to go see that.
1: It's worth checking out and do do both tours because
0: um, Both tours of the Winchester House. Yeah,
1: there's two tours. There's the behind the scenes, and then you know where they take you through the grounds and show you around and show some of the machinery and stuff. So for history buffs, that's that's well worth it. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting place. It's definitely worth checking yeah. out. Yeah,
0: and my travels weren't as interesting as Andy's, but um, I finished a contract. I had been working four months on a contract in Bellevue, and I finished that up, and I was invited to my aunt and uncle's uh, 50th wedding
1: anniversary. He didn't mention he's a contract killer. (laughs) Contract (laughs) programmer. I think I mentioned that
0: before. No, I (laughs) (laughs)
1: know. Yeah,
0: you'd probably be dead right now if I were a contract killer. (laughs) Probably. Anyhow, so uh, I was honored to have been invited, drove down there. Uh, spent a week with my uncle and my cousins and had a great time just hanging out and having fun. And the uh, anniversary was a lot of fun. They had at a nice Italian restaurant there in San Diego. And then when I came back, um, I was home for a few days, and I went to my uh, annual fantasy football weekend up in the San Juans, which is a blast. I go with a bunch of buddies. Andy is not part of that because he, <laughs> he doesn't care about fantasy football anyway. Cool. But uh, that was a blast, too. Uh, We go up there. We have a good time. We have barbecues, and we play sports. We play volleyball for five hours. But it's beautiful. It's great. It's late summer, and it's kind of quiet up there, and it's just a great time. And then when I came home, my uh, aunt had kind of asked me if I would help her move. So I flew to Chicago, and I spent a week out. She lives like 50 miles out of Chicago. So I spent about a week out there. And that's when Andy interviewed uh, Eugene, and I put some of our stuff together when I was out there. And anyway, been back, and then we got sick. And so we just, we've been, you know, obviously very busy. But uh, eh, I, we were shooting for every twice a month, but at this rate, I guess we're going about once a month. But uh-huh. this is episode eight. So, and uh, Andy, I think his friends are a bit closer followers of the <laughs> podcast than my friends. And Andy said that uh, some of his friends were asking about the uh, North Carolina sewer monster. That was probably episode five or six. And in that we linked to a video where someone had been scoping out a sewer system in North Carolina and they saw this very unusual looking kind of blob.
1: Remind me, Greg, was that a, uh,
0: a private company or was it a government? Yeah, uh, it was a private company, private company okay. for, I think a private sewer line. They were yeah. just, you know, you gotta check it out. There's rules and regulations you have to abide by. And Andy was saying people were asking him about whether that was real and what what it was. Yeah. And uh I did a quick search uh search engine search maybe, on the internet. Hey
1: Greg, maybe um just, just very quickly describe what it looks like again just in case uh
0: well it's it's on the uh website but it, it looks kinda like a blob with a kind of a gushy squishy blob <laughs> with kind of a pancake foot is what it <laughs> looks like. To gushy me. squishy blob. <laughs> with a pancake foot. Yeah. You know, kinda like this uh, what's it what I can't even think of a good um uh, analogy but anyway it's it's very unusual looking it, it looks like it has no eyes. it no looks mouth. like an alien brain it does it does it has no eyes or mouth or anything and you know and i looked at the video again right before we started the podcast and i'm not sure i buy the answer but well first things first they, as far as I can tell, that is a legitimate tape. That
1: was not a fake. It you, was not a promotion. You know what problem I have in, in the people um, that uh, I've talked to or who want to know more about it is it's hard to to tell what the scale is. Like, let's just say one of these blobs. Like, how big would you say, like golf ball? You know that tennis is a ball. Good, it, like, yeah. When I saw hard it, say, I thought it was like the size of a golf ball, but it yeah. might be as big
0: as a fist. or Is something? it really? Okay, I don't okay. know. Yeah, but. I figure there's some range because yeah. it's hard to tell from the video yeah. how big it is. But anyway, it's on the website. I think it's episode 5 or 6 and uh, we have a we link to a video of it. But and I did a quick search and it looks like it's a legitimate tape. It looks like a real tape, a real company, and the consensus is that it is Tubix worms. And you know, like a colony the, the of worms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the scientific kind of as far as I can tell, what people are saying, it's colony of tubix worms. But, man, I have trouble buying that because it looks like one organism. You don't see individual worms. And it's covered. It's like yeah. a membrane, like a brain membrane. It looks like one piece yeah. to me.
1: But, you know. Now, uh, now we should add, too, that um, didn't you find in in your searching that the um, the government there, the um, uh, like the sewer authority or some government agency said, yes, this is a legitimate thing. This is not a hoax. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. But no one's too worried about it. Yeah. It's not going to break out and start <laughs> eating people.
1: But... Well, that's what they thought about the blob. <laughs> that's probably a good analogy. Until of what Steve it McQueen like. had to take yeah. take business into yeah. his own hands. Or...
0: So, I guess, you know, uh, so quick follow up on that. And, um, you know, the nature of our podcast is we, we do a lot of monster stories and stuff. So, this is a cool time of year for us yeah. because it's Halloween time. It's a week away from Halloween. I love this time of year. A little less than a week away. And Andy and I went out with two other friends. Well, we went out with one friend and we met a fourth friend uh, by coincidence yeah. and we watched two kind of semi creepy funny movies. Uh they were old movies by Bob Hope, with Bob Hope and one was called The Cat and the Canary and that was uh, filmed in 19 th- release in 1939. And the other one, I found this title very interesting was Ghostbreakers, not Ghostbusters, Ghostbreakers <laughs> and that was from 1940. And it was Paula Goddard was yeah. his co star in yeah. both both movies were kind of similar. Yeah. They're kinda of funny. Kinda of creepy, but not creepy yeah. in the way <laughs> that things are nowadays. It's kind of I guess our modern sensibilities, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun and it was our and friend
1: who was with us, she she jumped at yeah. one of the scenes. And there's something um, you know, just Bob Hope. I mean, particularly if you put him in that time, there's something kind of charming and endearing about his the the type of humor that he has in the um in the movie. Yeah. Now there's now just if you're gonna go out and watch these, I I should say in Ghost Breakers he has a black um uh guy who works for
0: him. Uh, the the term they used in the internet was manservant.
1: Manservant. Okay. And there's some there's some stuff that's kind of politically incorrect. Now it's not too bad it's not too over the top it but could have been a lot worse yeah. yeah
0: but you would not portray a human being <laughs> no, they, portrayed no, yeah, the that's, they portrayed the guy as barely able to speak almost or yeah just not too bright nice yeah. guy though yeah the characters seemed very nice yeah and bob in the the script kind of respected the character yeah. but the way the character himself is portrayed is a little yeah it's, you sure wouldn't do that nowadays no
1: but it, it was lighthearted. It was yeah. fun. And oh, we saw it at, what was the name of that? Uh, the Grand Illusion, which is a small, uh, one of Seattle's, what is it? It's Seattle's oldest continually uh, functioning theater. And it's just, it's very small, but it's it's really cool. It's, yeah, it's a it's fun kind of place. farming charming, to and yeah. it's in the U District. And uh, it was,
0: it was, it's kind of interesting to see old movies. I, I'm yeah. a, kind of a fan of old movies, especially silent movies, but this was, wasn't silent. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of neat to see those old movies instead of on TV like we're used to seeing it on the screen as it was originally shown yeah. so it's and I love the history and nostalgia and stuff and, well, so it know, was interesting I, I was
1: kind of thinking you know just uh, you know this time of year and the type of thoughts that it inspires and stuff you know, so we're sitting in a theater, and it looked like—I mean, it looked like even the the seating in there looked like original. Maybe they reupholstered it, but but you know, you start thinking, man, how old would you say? Would you say that was at least from the nineteen thirties? I think it went back to the twenties. Yeah, personally. I agree, probably around that time. And frame. you you start thinking, like, man, there were people, you know, sitting here watching movies like in the nineteen twenties or thirties, and and you know, just this long history. I love I love stuff like that too. And, yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's haunted in in the. In the not maybe the literal sense, but in the in the um in the positive uh, historical kind of fun yeah. sense of the word and maybe in the literal sense too, i don't know, but <laughs> an
0: interesting little side note: those movies seem to have been Bob hope's kind of breakout movies, yeah. and what was also kind of or what I think is kind of endearing or about Bob Hope is both those characters in both those movies were kind of cowards, and they kind of were. Self aware cowards. <laughs> yeah. In the first one, a lot more so. In The Cat yeah. and the Canary. In the, in the second one, he would kind of pay lip service to being a coward and then he never, didn't act cowardly. Yeah. In The Cat and the Canary, he would pay lip service and act cowardly. Yeah. But uh, fun. Yeah. Fun. It didn't really, it wasn't like Halloween part
1: right. two or something. Right. Oh, scary. I should, I should or, mention a new movie <clears throat> that I saw that's very, has a very Halloween feel to it and is really good, very creepy is called uh, Paranormal Activities. Uh, it's a low-budget, um, kind of Blair Witch type of movie. But I actually I actually liked it better than the Blair Witch because um, I thought the, the two primary actors, uh, I won't say too much about it just in case somebody wants to go see it, but it's supposed to be the, this young couple that's just moved in. The woman has just moved into the man's house. I believe he owns it. And she has a somewhat of a history of kind of paranormal stuff happening and um, things have begun to happen in the house. And her boyfriend gets a camera uh, and sets it up to film, film them when they're asleep and film different things around the house. And it goes from there. And so it has that kind of uh, documentary style like the Blair Witch. But I thought the actors were really, really good. They, they, they seem very believable and with just just minimal special effects like i said it was very low budget with minimal special effects they really got maximum amount of creepy so and, creepy but not was it gory um no uh yeah. i don't think there was one there's a little bit of no, i don't even want to say what cuz it'll ruin it but no it's not gory it's not yeah. gory it's yeah. just it's frightening and it's yeah. it's got a really good creepy vibe and it also does a few there's a thing i i i term um There's different types of scares for me, and I'm a fan of the horror genre. And there's the what I always call the jack in the box scare, you know, where you know something's coming and it's going to make you jump, and it does. Um, And then there's the more kind of psychological scare, like the one where you leave the theater and you're still maybe disturbed a little bit. And this combines, this has both. This, this, cool. does, this does a really good job with combining yeah. to have both of those things. So. Hey,
0: you know, you, you mentioning the Winchester house makes me think of when um, I took my big trip. I took a big trip around the country last year, and I stayed at my cousin's house with his wife, him and his wife, in New Hampshire. And the house they lived in, and I stayed at for three days, I think it was or so, uh, was built in 1760 or 1770. So it's an old house. And this was, this was fun. Kind of creepy for me, but fun. My uh, cousin's wife insists the house is haunted. And she had some stories of like things moving and mm. all these kind of weird stories. My cousin, he was skeptical. He was saying, oh, no, there's an explanation for all of that. Yeah. But So we were up kind of late, 10, 11, and she's telling me these stories, and then it's bedtime. And... I'm not sure if this was the first night or second night, but, um, that night when I was in the room and, you know, who knows, this could have been completely psychological. I completely admit that. But when I went to sleep in that room, I had a strong, strong sense that I could feel a presence like a foot from my head, (laughs) not like a really threatening presence, but a presence. And... I close my eyes real tight and try to ignore it, (laughs) and I never opened my eyes. (laughs) I was kind of freaked out. But, you know, it's easy to say, hey, she was telling me the stories of these candles going out, easels moving. So that could have been completely a a seed planted in my head. But, like, neither of us completely deny this thing. Who knows? I mean, a house that old probably at least a few people died in that house you know especially in the old days before they had hospitals and that sort of thing and but I had no bad feeling in general about the house well I had because it was kind of a a bigger house and older I think I did walk around and after hearing those stories I I did get a little creeped out sometimes especially walking around by myself but People can plant those ideas, but it was a, it, just the fact it was so old. And that was, you know, I love history, so it was really cool uh-huh. at the same time. And uh, my cousins, uh, their their son lived in the basement. So the basement was really creepy, but he had no problem living in this <laughs> basement of a house built in the 70s uh, How old was he? Uh, he was about 22 or oh, so. Oh, okay. okay. So, but still kind of young, but yeah. he had lived there for, you know, right, right a few years. So anyway, just it's Halloween, yeah.
1: ghost stories. And, Andy, you were telling me you had kind of not a really ghost story, but... Um. Oh, just a weird... We'll just put it in the the weird category. And yeah. So, um, a friend of mine out east, uh, he, he has a sister, and um, she has a kid, um, uh, my friend's nephew, who I think is about, like, five or six now. And um, for, for some reason, you know, I talk to this friend quite often, like I do a lot of my friends out on the east coast. And... And for some reason, now about a month or so ago, I was talking to him, and I said, um, "Hey, how's your sister's pregnancy going?" And he said, "I, my sister's not pregnant." Um, and I, I went, "Really? Because I could have swore I could have swore you told me that your sister was pregnant." And I, went, huh? And you know, and and, uh, and I was just like, "Wow, I, I don't know where I got that from." And then uh, now. More recently I was talking to him and in the midst of our conversation, I was I was almost going to ask him how his sister's pregnancy was going again. And and I caught myself and then I but I told him, I said, geez, you know, I was I was just about to ask you about how you know if they know what the sex of the baby is and everything like that. And I but I know you told me that she's not pregnant. He's like, Yeah, I don't know where you're getting that from. And then about a week later or maybe even less than a week. I, I'm terrible with timelines, by the way. Anybody who knows me can. Uh, but n- not too much uh, later than than about a week or so, I get this message on my answering machine, and it's from him. And he said, "Um, I don't know what's going on with you or what, but uh, my sister just called me and told me that she's pregnant." <laughs> so you, you know, put that I yeah. you know, put that well, in some category. Yeah, right? I mean, we. Ta- I think we talked about this in the first
0: uh, episode, but um, you know, and especially me. You know, I'm the Christian. I I believe there's something. I totally believe. There's always a question of what is just natural, what is maybe beyond natural, supernatural. But, you know, uh, these stories, you know, it's interesting. You know, why would would you think that, Andy? And it's not like you, you... you're trying to predict the future. You right. just had this notion in your yep. head that, hey. But I verbalized it. That was yeah, the key thing. Yeah. yeah. But,
1: I, I mean, where does that come from? I mean, yeah. there's randomness, of yeah. course, but I don't know. I, I I have a friend, like, you know, adopting, putting on the skeptic's hat for, for a minute. Um, I have a friend who would say, like, look, just coincidences happen all the time, sure. and because they're coincidences, they they stick out in your brain and they they feel like they have more import. So I'm just I'm just saying yeah. this for my friends who are because like I I tend to believe a little bit more like Greg does. I I I think there's something, but um, but you know, just to give some,
0: give and I a little guess bit of, I know you can guess. Well, his sister's childbearing age; he's right. married. It's not too yeah. unusual for exactly a person. And that starts to get right. pregnant. Yeah. So, But it's just kind of interesting. Somehow it seems to have gotten yeah. in your head that you had heard that. Yeah. And it might have been. You might have transferred someone else telling you that uh, Yeah, to that. But, eh, you know, there's, there's lots of stories uh, out there. I'm sure everyone listening has some sort of story yeah. about something that you can't explain, whatever uh. it is. So, anyway, happy Halloween, everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, like we were saying before, this is uh – I think both Greg and I really like this time of year. And and this this year, we were just talking about this, this fall in Seattle has had a very, for me, has had a very um, kind of New England fall type feel to it. So I, I, I'm in that real Halloween mood. And I don't know, we, Halloween falls on a Saturday this yeah, it's, year. Yeah, it's a
0: Saturday. It's next Saturday. And,
1: and I think what I might try to do is maybe have some friends over um and then not tell greg about it and uh no just, i'd have some friends over and uh just have some food and maybe watch a couple movies of people or i don't know people are into that but it's yeah i a- gotta do something yeah we don't get many parties at this age anymore. no we don't so so moving right along him, maybe we should have them over here yeah we could yeah.
0: Yeah. i have i have space but yeah. I, I have to clear things out <laughs> well moving right along i sent uh every i mentioned this before, but when I find things interesting on the internet, some blogs or whatever I go to, weird <laughs> things that I think fit the podcast, uh, our theme, I send them along to Andy and just, you know, so Andy knows about them. And this one I had sent to Andy, but he said he didn't really notice it. Yeah. He got lost in the shuffle. But this, it's a kind of a combination monster comedy story. <laughs> this was funny. So this is from a little newspaper, and Andy commented on the writer not being all that great.
1: Oh well <laughs> I'm just saying it 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 doesn't follow the kind of standard. He probably doesn't
0: have a real high salary. Yeah. Maybe yeah, he's a yeah. volunteer or something. Yeah. But anyway, this is a little paper called The Sea Breeze, and it's near Houston somewhere. And it along the Gulf Coast. And anyway, they had they had this story and they, and we'll we'll post this, of course, on the on the website. They have a picture of a dude holding this big I mean, big, like five and a half, six foot long eel. And this is the story. This is pretty (laughs) unusual story. Um, These guys, they're some friends. They go fishing. They're out 120 miles in the Gulf. And I guess a lot of times you're out there fishing, you're also drinking. (laughs) So I'm going to read part of it here because I couldn't paraphrase this. It's it's pretty funny. So um, it starts, all at once, Bruce got a big run on his line. This thing went all around the boat and took... Took more than 20 minutes to bring it up to the surface. When they got it to the surface, they could not tell what it was. It looked prehistoric. And it, when you see this picture, you'll agree. Uh, Steve Jr. put a gaff in it and the two men dragged it aboard the 30, 33 foot boat. As soon as the big creature hit the deck, it went crazy attacking them. <laughs> it was an eel over six feet long, weighing close to 100 pounds. It had a mouth full of sharp teeth and was extremely their their words not mine pissed off (laughs) the eel was later estimated to be 60 years old bruce said it it came at him and bruce bruce said it came at him and steve jr like an anaconda rearing its head up and striking at them like a rattlesnake (laughs) it was highly agitated and quite energetic (laughs) sounds like fun huh it sounds like a horror movie, basically. <laughs> In the midst of thrashing around, the creature fell down below into the floor between the two sleeping men below, Eric and Ken. Like below decks. Below deck, yeah. yeah. When they heard the thud and turned on the light, the eel raised its head right above <laughs> Ken's face. <laughs> Eric rolled over and grabbed his 9 millimeter pistol. Steve Jr. started yelling, Don't shoot the gun in the boat. We're 120 miles from land. (laughs) Next thing you know, the four fishermen were on the deck, and the gigantic eel had sole possession of the lower deck of the boat. The four needed to work up a plan of action, so they drank beer while considering (laughs) a strategy. It was determined that Steve Jr. would distract the eel because he had drank the most alcohol, and he believed he was bulletproof. He opened up the sliding door down below to see what the monster was doing. As the door opened, the eel came up the two steps, biting at anything along the way. (laughs) The four men, the the four brave men, then ran into the wheelhouse like women and slammed the door (laughs) shut (laughs) like women. Hey, again, hit the author's writing. Yeah, that's
1: not ours. That's not us.
0: They never did identify which one of them screamed like a girl. Inside the wheelhouse, they start, They started calming down, decided they would drink a couple more beers. I guess that's their best plan of action <laughs> is drink as much as you can. They then hashed a new battle plan. Steve Jr. went out to the deck to get the beast's attention. The eel attacked, and Steve Jr. climbed on top of the captain's chair. Ken threw a blanket on top of the giant eel while Eric and Bruce beat the hell out of it with a steel gaff and a large ice chest. <laughs> After the creature was finally subdued... <laughs> They put it into a large ice chest and closed the lid. The four brave sailors all got themselves a beer and were laughing at the situation. Now, this is kind of like Fatal Attraction. (laughs) When the lid on the ice chest was suddenly knocked off and the eel sprang out on the deck and resumed its attack. (laughs) Bruce stated that the eel was clearly out for vengeance. The four men each picked up something and the fight was on. After beating the creature with gaffs ice chest lids, and fire extinguishers. They once again subdued it, uh, subdued the massive carnivore and put it back in the ice chest. This time, they tied the lid down and put another ice <laughs> chest on top of that one. 18 hours later, they returned to the, to the dock and started unloading the boat. None of them anxious to open the lid of the ice chest. In fact, they did rock, paper, scissors to determine who would pop the lid.
1: <laughs> so that's a great... You know, if it's true, I think the Sci-Fi Channel has its new monster movie. But But can you imagine this thing
0: (laughs) jumping at you, biting at you, and um, that that just cracked me up night When I'm trying to
1: imagine myself drunk or waking up, kind of like hungover, and there's like an eel hovering over me. That's
0: the scariest moment of that story when it (coughs) falls below deck and wakes the guy up, and there's this this huge head full of sharp, razor sharp teeth. Ready imagine, to go at you. Can
1: you imagine like waking up that way? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, so these are Texas people, so they're armed and they have a lot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, it would be interesting to find out what kind of creature that is because yeah. it truly looks like something from the land well, of the Well, they said
1: lost. Uh, in the caption of I it's hard to read in the caption there, but it's an American con- conger oh, yeah. eel.
0: Yeah, it does say that.
1: Yeah. They are nocturnal hunters and have row upon row of sharp, very sharp teeth. The one in this picture, oh, it says the they've been they've been known they've been known to viciously attack divers and swimmers. Wow, yeah, yeah it it's amazing. It's hard to believe something like that still
0: lives. But anyway, <laughs> that, I thought it was kind of funny story and very unusual story. But
1: uh, you know what, you know, good old boy story. You know what's funny, Greg, is um, one time when I was visiting my family, uh, we. <laughs> I don't know why the eel, it's a much, it's a much more benign story, but, um, my family all decided to get together and go camping in Michigan. We went to one of those campgrounds and everything. long story short, um, I was, I was going to stay after we left the campground, I was going to stay one night with my mom who lives in, uh, near Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, um, we were driving back so it was my mom's boyfriend and my and mike and uh, my mom and myself and we're in their pickup truck <coughs> a smallish pickup truck so i'm in one of the kind you know those kind of cramped back seats they have back there and i'm i'm tired so i'm kind of lying across the back seat and all of a sudden i don't know if it was in the cab the whole time we had the windows down it was summer this wasp flew in and it was the biggest nastiest looking <laughs> wasp like that I'd ever seen. So I went from like that weird, like kind of half asleep to just this panic of just like, "Ah!" you know, like trying (laughs) to brush the thing off. And I think we all know that feeling. Yeah. And, and you know, and they're wondering like what the hell's going on and, and we're smashing it and everything. And, and it crawled, like I smashed it with a boot and it crawled like under the seat, you know, and they pulled over and they're like, Oh, okay. And and, then I explained what was going on and everything. And then, um, we continue, we continued on and then all of a sudden the thing crawled out from under the seat again and and I mean you know we just had to pull over <laughs> and, and we got it out of the car I mean we stepped on it we hit it with boots it, it's amazing it, it was hard to kill it it was hard to kill this stupid thing what, it, which reminds me uh real quick the movie
0: yeah. uh Ghostbreakers had featured a zombie
1: oh yeah is that, that one of a... the
0: earliest examples of a zo- how how back how far back you know, does the zombie uh genre go
1: do you know I uh, you know the stories because it was connected to voodoo. I mean that's where the word comes from. Is like voodoo. Uh, you know it's a voodoo thing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the oldest reference in a movie is. I'll have to look that up. But I, I bet that's one of
0: the. I mean, it's gotta there, be one of the first. I would ones, think. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, because I th- I thought zombies was more of a kind yeah. of
0: a recent. Yeah. Kind of genre that it's becoming popular. Yeah. But anyhow, there's one more story. It's creepy, but in a different sort of way. And this is actually, well, it's kind of science fact, but it's also kind of in the realm of speculation. Yeah. But it, it's really interesting. And it, it anyway, Andy, it, we we found this story in the New York Times, and I sent it to Andy. Has <laughs> I think I found this
1: one too, and it's it's really uh, interesting. You, you, Do you want me to kind of tackle this? Yeah. Try to yeah, tackle see, this see one what? and uh, bear with me, everybody, because I'm, I'm sure I'm going to stumble through this one a little bit. <clears throat> it's kind of technical. Um, um, I'm not sure how many people have heard of the Large Hadron Collider. It's a particle accelerator um, that's been built in. You know, this is where I, I, I think, think it's in, in Switzerland. Switzerland. In Switzerland, and I CERN, think it's also called the CERN. The CERN, yeah, because that well, that's the name of the group, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, which is known as CERN, C E R N. And um, if you've kept up on this story, they've been kind of plagued with a lot of. Um, a lot of problems in getting this um, this thing to work, um, and there's a weird theory, and you may be surprised where it comes from. Uh, and and this I'm kind of I'm paraphrasing and taking out um, sections of an article that's actually from the New York Times. This is not from the Enquirer or anything like that. As so. usual, we will post the link. <laughs> and let's see um, a pair of otherwise, and this is where I'm quoting um, a pair of otherwise distinct, distinguished physicists. Have suggested that the hypothesized Higgs boson particle, I'm filling in, um, which physicists hope to produce with the collider, may be so abhorrent to nature that its creation would ripple backward through time, and stop the collider before it could make one, like a time traveler who goes back in time to kill his grandfather. Now let's stop and think about that for a second. Um, it's two physicists who, and these are, are accredited,
0: yeah, well, uh, accepted professional physicists yeah, these aren't just wackos
1: I'll, from uh i'll, I'll give you, know, you the community <laughs> college down the street yeah i'll give you the uh hey community college come on man um to our community college right, educated well, friends uh, all right some um a mail order college how's that <laughs> there you go so uh the two guys are holger beck nielsen of the niels Bohr institute in copenhagen I think that's probably fairly prominent. I've heard of that before, and uh, I'm going to massacre this name: Masao Nino of the of uh, the Yakuha Institute for Theoretical Physics in Kyoto, Japan, put this to get this idea forward in a series of papers with titles like "Quote: Test of the ef- of Effect from Future in Large Hadron Collider: Colon a Proposal." Um, and search for future influence from LHC, that's the Large Hadron Collider, posted on the physics website um, uh, arxiv.org in the last year and a half. According to the to the so-called standard model that rules almost all physics, the Higgs is responsible for imbuing other elementary particles with mass. But so it does not exist on its own. It doesn't exist on its and, own.
0: And- Uh, what these colliders are going to do or what they want it to do is they want to have high-energy collisions. And these collisions, they postulate, will create all these subatomic particles. And they believe particles like electrons and protons and neutrons are made of various... Well, I think they pretty much accept this theory. They're made up of other subatomic particles. And one of them, which I'd never heard of, is this Higgs particle. But this is the particle, they think, that does not want to exist on its own. And... It, to me, it just—it's
1: mind blowing. I mean, this is a very meta, totally metaphysical. So it's so much like we're almost imbu- imbuing it with will, but it's—it's it's just the only way to put it. So it so much does not want to exist on its own that it's actually causing an effect in the past to prevent itself from being
0: separated. Or, I mean, maybe the reason it doesn't want to exist is because if it does exist all of existence would wink out
1: and never yeah. have happened. Yeah. So, and then this is a quote from uh, Dr. Nielsen. It must, be a, it must be our prediction that all Higgs producing machines shall have bad luck, Dr. Nielsen said in an email message. In an unpublished essay, which makes you wonder how they got it, Dr. Nielsen, oh, it's probably because it was on the website, Dr. Nielsen said of the theory, well, one could even almost say that we have a model for God. It is their guess, he went on, that, quote, God he, the he he's referring to here is God. That he rather hates Higgs particles and attempts to avoid them. Uh, this malign influence from the future, they argue, could explain why the United States superconducting super collider, also des- designed to find the Higgs, was canceled in 1993 after billions of dollars had already been spent. An event so unlikely that Dr. Nielsen calls it a quote anti miracle. Um. Yeah. Th- this this
0: idea. I mean it. It really hits metaphysical, obviously, but religious. I mean, if this particle could be created and it winked out existence or just, you know, who knows? Like the universe just disappears or something. I mean, if I guess there's two ways to tackle it. If you're a materialist, well, the universe obviously exists and it can't not have existed. Right. Or if you believe in God or accept a greater power, God's not ready to... And the universe, <laughs> and if if we do this thing, it could end. Or I mean, I'm just saying, end the universe. Maybe it could do other things. Maybe there'd be other bizarre paradoxes. Besides, I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah. this is so bizarre. Yeah, and it's funny. These guys, they believe it. I mean, yeah. they or they pr- they propose, they propose it. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one possibility because every time they've tried this, something breaks down. Yeah, right? and, and I mean, in fact, there's all some are...
1: mechanical failure or there's some sort of thing. Well, I'll I'll skip over that and I'll go yeah. to I'll skip over some other yeah. uh, you know detail and, and go into that. Um, uh, the article continues. For the record, as of mid, middle of September, CERN engineers hope to per, to begin to collide protons at the so-called injection energy of 450 billion electron volts in December, and then ramp up the energy until the protons have 3.5 trillion electron volts of energy apiece. Wow, yeah, that's and, big. And I then know. after a short Christmas break. <laughs> Real physics can begin, maybe. Uh-huh. Doctor Nielsen and Doctor Nino Mia, I'm sorry, Nino Mia, Nino Mia, I think that's how you pronounce it. Started laying out the case for doom in the spring of 2008. It was later that fall, of course. Oh wow, they predicted this, and then okay, so <coughs> they put this they put this idea out there in the spring of 2008. It was later that fall, of course after the CERN Collider was turned on, that a connection between two magnets vaporized, shutting down the, the collider for more than a year. Dr. Nielsen called that, quote, a funny thing that could make us believe in the theory of ours, unquote. <laughs> wow, I didn't read that part. Right? Yeah. I don't remember reading that part. Um, so he, he agreed wow. that skepticism would be in order. After all, most big science projects, including the Hubble Space Telescope, have gone through a period of seeming, of, of seeming jinxed. Uh, through gone through a period of well, these six. are
0: very complicated machines. I mean, by like, millions of parts, and it's all got to work just right, right, right and everything.
1: And then, uh, and then the last the last uh, uh, sentence here at CERN, the beat goes on. Last weekend, the French police arrested a particle physicist who works at uh, one works on one of the collider experiments on suspicion of conspiracy with a North African wing of Al Qaeda. <laughs> yeah, we would
0: hope that high energy uh, physicists have a fair amount of security associated with (laughs) it yeah (laughs) but no this story is just so it's it's mind-blowing to me it's just it's amazing and um yeah i I can't i almost am at a loss for words but when uh,
1: you get to that level of physics uh, a lot of things get weird yeah Um, for lack of a lack of a better way we're talking about we're talking below the building
0: blocks i mean we're talking the building blocks (laughs) of the building blocks because electrons neutrons and protons are you know, the basis of every atom, but we're talking about busting those up and seeing what's inside. And uh, so fascinating. I mean, and and that's one of those things since it's probably kind of a metaphysical thing. I mean, maybe in a hundred years, if we still can't get it to work, you can say, yeah, it just can't exist.
1: Yeah. But
0: maybe, maybe it will. Or,
1: or around, um, slightly after Christmas, yeah. See y'all. Now, Andy, do you remember,
0: and this might be separate, but I remember them talking about that one of these uh, processes would lead to a mini black hole. I
1: think that's a different... I mean, it might be part of the same experiment, yeah. but uh, I think that's a different theory, on a potential theory yeah. on what and might
0: when I, I didn't read that story in, in uh, detail, but that kind of freaked me out because yeah. I, I know black holes have such high gravity you can't get out of it. Yeah. And if even a mini one, to me, seems as though it could potentially cause problems
1: well they they i mean under that theory which they said even the people who propose that that that's a possibility say that it's it's a slight possibility but the argument is from what i remember about that controversy the the argument is that um even even a slight i mean i'm talking like infinitesimal possibility that a lot of people consider that that is not worth the the risk the risk so if you have one in a say a billion chance
0: of destroying the
1: universe from your science experiment, maybe that's the risk isn't question. worth it. I mean, you know, or that, is it that that's an interesting question because I, you know, we we I think as human beings we have faced that before. I mean, if you, I think, was it um, was it Einstein that thought there was a potential when they tested the the first atomic bomb that it could create a chain reaction that wouldn't stop and would absorb the atmosphere that that there was that
0: theory i'm not sure it was einstein who postulated it yeah. but yeah they thought uh the atmosphere could catch on fire essentially yeah. and burn the whole planet up yeah so yeah that'd be one way to end world war ii and that was yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah very true um and you know who knows what that possibility was calculated to be maybe yeah. maybe it was all maybe it was one in a million but yeah. they said eh, well, yeah well we'll take that chance yeah. of burning up the planet to a cinder and they Thank God that yeah. was wrong. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting, <laughs> really <laughs> fascinating. So anyway, I guess that's about it for episode eight.
1: Yeah, anything did we miss anything? anything? I don't know. I don't. I don't yeah. think so. Um, there's a maybe a slight possibility that if we get some good short somebody with a good short ghost story or something, maybe we'll do like a really quick podcast before Halloween. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well,
0: so. uh, let us know if you have a really cool story and you're willing to go on the podcast. And speak in front of all 20 listeners. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was great to be back. Episode 5 is being wrapped up here. And uh, I since it's fall and everything's slowing down, I imagine it won't be too long before we do another one.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think we'll probably, yeah, we'll be doing another one in much m- much sooner than we did in the past. So
0: Yeah, it won't be three months anyway. Yeah. So anyway, Episode 8 wrapped up. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time. Happy Halloween.